0: Welcome to New Books and Film. I am your host, Joel Cherney. More than 50 years after his death, John F. Kennedy is still regularly the subject of popular media. Yet many of these views are built on an image of JFK that may be at odds with reality. In her book, The JFK Image, profiles... Welcome to New Books and Film. I am your host, Joel Cherney. More than 50 years after his death, John F. Kennedy is still regularly the subject of popular media. Yet many of these views are built on an image of JFK that may be at odds with reality. In her book, The JFK Image, Profiles in Docudrama, Raluca Lucia Kimpan reviewed nine films in which Kennedy is either an important character or a vital part of the background for the story. She also reviewed the docudrama as a film genre and how it was important to each of the filmmakers. The book was published in 2014 by Roman and Littlefield Publishers. In this interview, Raluca talks with me about the book, as well as how JFK's image was viewed by Europeans as she grew up. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Raluca Lucia Kimpan. Welcome, Raluca. How are you today?
1: Uh, good. I'm doing great,
0: and how are you, Joel? I'm fine, thank you. I think when I first set up this interview with you, I, I mentioned that this is a topic that is very interesting to me. I've been—I'd have to say—I followed the JFK assassination and that period of time, and it was one of the things I studied in college that was important. One of my particular areas that I followed closely, so. This book was definitely something that I found interesting for the subject. And then you're also the way you looked at it. It's been more than 50 years since his death, but John F. Kennedy is still a regular subject in popular culture. And in the book, you studied nine films, all that had some sort of a connection to JFK. And you made a big point of, of referring and discussing them as their, as how they related to being docudramas. So we're going to talk today about both. The subject, but then also the whole issues related to this whole idea of docudramas, which is an interesting topic all by itself. But before we get into the book itself, let's talk about your background. What is your academic experience, particularly as it led you to film study?
1: Um, sure. Well, let me just start by saying that I'm happy uh, you enjoyed my book and that um, it has um, an audience out there. Um, about my background, I did my undergraduate studies um, at Babeș-Bolyai University in Cluj in Romania. I'm a native of Romania. I majored in English and minored in Romanian. And then I did my graduate studies at uh, Heidelberg University in Germany. And I have a PhD in American Studies from Heidelberg Center for American Studies. But I would say that um, ever since I was able to enjoy good fiction... I was fascinated with how the imagination works to translate reality into another form of truth, and I took an interest in literary theory courses and contemporary fiction, particularly in historiographic metafiction. This is a term that um, Linda Hutchins points to refer to fiction, which is uh, both world-reflecting, that is, realistic, and self-reflective. Um, I actually wrote my um, undergraduate thesis on such a novel, The French Lieutenant's Woman by John Fowles. Mm-hmm. And I was doing my graduate studies at Heidelberg University when I came across another fascinating novel, Libra, by John DeLillo, oh, okay. which tells the story of the Kennedy assassination with a focus on Lee Harvey Oswald and his psychology. So this Coupled with the fact that I was taking a fascinating course on contemporary American history, led me to want to explore more about JFK's presidency and legacy. I had a research grant at John F. Kennedy Institute in Berlin, and later at JFK Presidential Library in Boston, and I was amazed and at the same time overwhelmed by how much we know and don't know, or think we know about this president. And uh, that's when I started to create a niche for my growing interest in JFK and his image. And um, given the fact that um, he is the president of the television age and that the camera loved him and the whole family from infancy, I thought that it was no surprise that Hollywood took such a great interest in him and the public image and the personal image that he projected. So I decided to um stick with movies with docudramas, with feature docudramas. And that's how I started working on um on JFK docudramas.
0: Uh given that your background was or you know, you, you grew up in another country. Why did you decide that JFK was particularly interesting as a subject for your writing? I mean, obviously, those of us in the United States, depending on our ages, uh, and JFK was a major part of our recent history and, and is still discussed in an interesting way to the extent where even today, I think it's tough for some people to put up with writing with, I'm not put up, they have problems with anything written negative about Kennedy, which, uh, and obviously, over the more recent time, we've seen a lot more negative material than positive, which was different from right after he was killed. But in your background, then, what was there anything in particular that drew you to to, to learn about Kennedy? Given that, as I say, you were much of your the first part of your life was in in Europe,
1: in Eastern Europe, in Romania. I was born in 1981, long after JFK was assassinated. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say that his um, his public profile and his image um, projected so well internationally as well, and not only in the United States. And I think that um, people all over the world were and are still fascinated with his legacy in terms of not only what he uh, accomplished, but also in terms of what might have happened if he had not been assassinated. And then um, I did my graduate studies in Germany, where JFK was was and still is very popular. Um, And probably all these factors, plus um, the one that I have just mentioned, that I've always been fascinated with um, history and fiction and and historiographic metafiction, all these factors I guess uh came together and um, led me to start writing about him. But I will say that I was um, I did uh go through a period of of um, doubt, strong doubt uh, about being able to come up with something original about JSA and meaningful. Yeah. Something that uh that would add to the the choreography and literature that was already there. So, um, I did go through several crises, <laughs> <laughs> um, until I, uh, I, um, firmly decided to, um, stick with the project and, uh, go ahead with it.
0: It's interesting. And we'll talk about this as we start to talk about some of the films. In many of the films, he's either a superhuman almost or. The other ones, he doesn't even, and a lot of them, the ones that we're going to talk about, he doesn't even appear, per se. He's just a background. I mean, he's important, and particularly the ones related to the assassination. Obviously, he's not a character in any of those. Uh, but right. he, he's still, I think it goes back to your point about how he is still so highly regarded that these kind of uh, films could be made where he obviously affected not only the filmmakers, but the characters in the film, or some of it's based on the idea of how much they are affected and uh, influenced by JFK. Mm -hmm. But before we get into the films, though, let's talk about the concept of docudrama. The first part of your book, you discuss the issues and this whole um, detail related to the concept of the docudrama. The films you included were narrative movies as opposed to documentaries. So what are some of the primary aspects of the docudrama that you found to be particularly important for purposes of the JFK films you studied?
1: Right. Uh, well, if I were to um, think back um, and retrace the writing process, I would say that um, I was... Um, surprised at first by this uh, paradox, um, that is um, the under-theorized uh, concept of drama and the overly publicized um, image of JFK. So I tried to echo this uh, paradox by, uh, first of all, um, organizing, for my own understanding, organizing the historiography of uh, the Kennedy years, and then by um, detailing the concept uh, of what drama means, the term docudrama. So um, in terms of the JFK historiography, I organized that in three layers. Um, the first, the um, geographic layer, and then the revisionist uh, phase, and um, then the more contemporary uh, post-revisionist approach to, uh, JFK, um, to JFK's legacy. And then, uh, when it comes to docudrama, um, I do like to think of it as an independent genre, but it does have a double allegiance, nevertheless. Docudrama is, um is on the one hand deep in the documentary film tradition, which explains its choice sort of subject matter, that is, historical realities, past or present. And on the other hand, um, Dr. Drama rehearses the melodramatic code. The key characteristic is the promotion of moral principles. So we have stories about uh, good guys and bad guys, about heroes and villains, and the um, prevalence of good over evil in the end. We have a uh, we have closure and we have a reassured happy um, audience. The question is, how can docudrama achieve the blending of the historically given or historically documented and uh, melodramatically imagined in a convincing way that appeals to large audiences? And um, I find Stephen Lipkin's um, opinion very convincing in the sense that. Um, It says that, um, in essence, docudrama, what docudrama does is to connect data with claims about the data in a persuasive way. So what docudrama does is to model reality, to arrange real and imaginary footage, and to organize actual and reenacted cinematic material. Docudrama raises questions and provides answers about how things develop and not necessarily decisions about exactly what happened. For that we have history books or
0: so we think. Yeah, I, the thing about docudrama is that it's still a very controversial and interesting concept that as early as recent very recent history we've been dealing with it with the film Selma, where the filmmakers may have, depending on who you talk to, made some changes to somewhat make the story a little more um, interesting dramatically, even though the story itself, you know, the the actual event was pretty dramatic by itself. And so now we've got some arguments going on between people who worked with Lyndon Johnson and as to whether he's treated fairly in the film. And Mm -hmm. that is the whole issue of docudrama, where people... And then the other issue is, is the believability. Can we take, can we take a, docu, a docudrama and treat it as history? That is, can we, is it something where people will believe it because it appears in a film versus um, actually learning more about the topic in other ways?
1: No, I don't think that we can believe docudramas in the way that we tend to believe documents and history books. And I think that dramas are um, or can be uh, both informative and engaging uh, from a dramatic point of view and from a rhetorical point of view. But I think that for a more um, historically grounded uh, explanation of whatever topic we're interested in or whatever event or figure we want to figure out. Um, we need to go back to the archives. I did I did start my um, uh my my own study of JFK uh by uh reading a novel and getting interested in the topic through the lenses of fiction. But then I went into the archives and I, I did a lot of work there. Um, and I think with good doctor dramas you see both uh, both traditions, uh, both the melodramatic and the documentary traditions uh, blend very well and organically. And, um, yes, there is this ongoing debate uh, about the nature of docudrama and what we can take out of it. Um, I think that it's healthy uh, that the debate is still going on. Um, but I do think that we need to take uh, things with a grain of salt when we approach, um, the truth value of a docudrama. Because there are truth and truth. And docudrama, docudrama, um communicates truth, uh, melodramatically. Communicates documented, um, truth melodramatically. Um, so there is value in docudramas um, but a different kind of truth value, which is uh, which I wouldn't say is um, less than or more than. It's just the fact that docudrama is a genre is a genre in itself, and should be and should be um, evaluated as a separate genre, not as documentary and not as as the generic historical film. So I guess that uh, as long as we, as long as we evaluate a docudrama, whatever the, uh, the topic, based on this assumption, uh, we are safe. <laughs> I mean, I feel I feel safe to approach a docudrama as a work of fiction, right. basically.
0: And that's where I think sometimes when people criticize a docudrama for possibly quote unquote not getting it right. They're missing mm-hmm. the point. I mean, it's like the historical... It's, it's basically equal in many ways, as you pointed out. Yeah. It's the historical novel. A mm-hmm. historical novel may use historical subjects and may even attempt to try to come to some sort of truth. But they're right. not... They, they're, by calling them a novel, they're clearly saying, this is, this right. is still fiction. And you have to, to to take it that way. You cannot assume that it's like you just pointed mm-hmm. out. It's not like... An, a document or history, or anything that you could come out with and say This is what actually happened or this is what it really was like
1: mhm yeah that's correct
0: so you you've got nine films in in your study um I'm sure there were other th- there were plenty of other that you could have included, but I think you, the overall uh group of films you picked was were were quite good in fact, I've seen just about all of them, which Should give you some sense at all about my general interest in the topic. But let's talk about them one by one. The first group, which had two films, the Kennedy leadership was what you named the section. The two films were PT One Hundred Nine and Thirteen Days. Um, They both portrayed Kennedy as a strong character, using his strength to solve a crisis. In Thirteen Days, though, because of the decision of the filmmakers, and this goes back to the docudrama concept they made Kenneth O'Donnell, one of Kennedy's aides, to be the main character of the film. Do you feel, and and if so, how, how did this affect how JFK's character is presented in the movie?
1: Ah, yes, that's true. Kenneth O'Donnell represents the center of consciousness for the story in 13 days. Um... These are um, Armin Bernstein. Excuse me a second.
0: Before, let's, I should have given a little bit, but 13 days is about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Like my, I, my, most yes, people probably know that, but it's, it's a good idea. I think I should have mentioned the backdrop right from the front, but thank you. Go on. I didn't mean to do wrong, <laughs> uh, That's correct.
1: Uh, it is about – It's. I think it's the only – I'm sure it's the only drama, featured drama to date to focus on, on uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right, um, so it's
0: the one TV movie, but you're right, that's yeah. the only feature film that I yep. know of.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, going back to Kenny O'Donnell um, and the character that, uh, that means, I mean, the character of Kenny O'Donnell, mm-hmm. uh, producer um, Armin Bernstein um, ruled out the idea of just another Camelot film from the very beginning. And um, the team searched for a more realistic approach that would convey both the historical and the human dimensions of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And the solution was to present um, O'Donnell, the president's appointment secretary and longtime political aide, um, as a pivotal figure in the crisis. Um the idea was advanced initially by uh Kevin O'Donnell, Kenneth O'Donnell's son and partner in Beacon Entertainment, um, which produced the film. Um so the producers chose to bend reality and invest O'Donnell with more responsibilities than uh than he had ever had at any moment during the kids missile crisis, um, in the hope of avoiding the great man approach. However, they failed to avoid this pitfall. In fact, they fell um, into this pitfall because O'Donnell's centrality as a character and the loyalty, his loyalty to the president, leaves the film at times verging conspicuously on celebrating the Kennedy image. And this is partly understandable as any person who witnessed the crisis from within the White House decision-making circle would necessarily have tended to idealize the president's otherwise um, exemplary performance. So um, I'm not saying that 13 Days is another Camelot movie, but um, I do argue that um Kenneth O'Donnell, uh, O'Donnell's character, um, further idealizes the president's uh performance during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah,
0: of course, it does not help that when you have Kevin Costner as your star, you have to find some place <laughs> for him. And yeah. Obviously, he wasn't going to match for any of the other main characters. So, unfortunately, this also led some—you know—probably had a lot to do with why Kenneth O'Donnell had to be more popular and more important for the simple reason that's who their star was playing.
1: Yes, that's true. But um, for a number of reasons, um, 13 Days is not as uh, as melodramatic and not as idealizing of the JSA image as the other uh, movie I uh, included in this section. Um, that was almost a propaganda movie um D one oh nine. whereas thirteen days is I don't know ninety something percent based on um, historical documents on the on the um, the Cuban missile uh space. So it's very very well researched and um, apart from Kenneth O'Donnell's um, art I, I think that it's pretty
0: accurate. Yeah, well, what helps is that there is quite a bit of material available, including uh, what we know to have been the uh, material that JFK was recording so many of the meetings. So we now have those audio recordings, and it actually allows you to, a lot of the dialogue, if you've heard any of the audio recordings or things based on them, much of the dialogue that dialogue that occurs in the meeting rooms in the film come right from those tapes. As far as to come up with the dialogue,
1: yep. When they are not directly taken from the tape, they are fairly well. Uh, they fairly well reconstruct uh, those dialogues. They're perfectly right.
0: Of course, at the end, we had our we had our most important shot at the end of the Kennedy. <laughs> You know, the idea of the Kennedy as John Kennedy's leader, and in this case, Robert, too, where we have that last shot of the two shadows walking away to sort of tell us, well, you know, we all know what happened in the long run. But this was at their them at their at their finest hour, so to speak, for in many ways.
1: Right. And we also have the. Um, the most important line from the American University speech attached to that uh, black-and-white image at the end of the movie. So, yes, I think it's a powerful ending.
0: But you're right about PT-109. That film came out in 1963, actually just in June. So it was shortly before JFK's assassination, but it would have been out at the time that... uh, Quite frankly, I would have, having watched it, it's unbelievable that JFK, in that film, he's so leader-like that he doesn't seem to have any kind of flaws at all. Um, he, come, he He's portrayed almost 100% as, you know, the perfect leader in that film. And the fact that supposedly JFK had some uh, involvement in the overall filmmaking of it probably um, had a lot to do with that.
1: Right, because they wanted to use it, uh, for the re-election campaign. So, it makes perfect sense.
0: And of course, it was been a lot easier to get help from the military when you're studying the president, the the future president of the United States in your film, so you're gonna wanna make sure he looks good in it.
1: Definitely, (laughs) definitely. Oh, they all, uh, the White House had, uh, had a say in, um, choosing the, the director mm-hmm. and also the, uh, the main, uh, um, the main actor. Um, Cliff Jay- Robertson
0: played JFK in the film. Yep. So, uh, and in fact, if you if anybody, if you've seen the film or not seen the film, it actually is a very lighthearted film for a good portion of the early part, at least until the, the, the main, What's PG 109 is most known for because even with the, the, the bombings and different types of situations that go on, even with people being, soldiers being killed in some of the battles, it still has this sort of light attitude that I just found somewhat jarring, especially with these days with war films and the way they're made.
1: Right, because the the um the this presumption is built in the film from the beginning toward the end, is that the audience knows uh, what has happened and and, and and is on board, and the whole movie is just about uh, present uh, memories. Right,
0: it's it's as almost as if we're getting the film from his point of view, right. Yes, it is a, it is a campaign movie. Right. So, so then the next section of the book, you've got three films, and the second section you called the Kennedy assassination, so obviously all three films are related to the assassination, and of course, unlike the first two films where he's a character, he is not in quote unquote any of the three assassination films, he is Obviously referred to, they, you, you, we see a lot of newsreel footage that includes him, but he's not a character in the same way. Um, but it's uh, most—it's more about his uh, the, the the aspect of the assassination. The first of the three was uh, executive action, which isn't in, in many ways a pretty well forgotten film. I mean, I I saw it when it first came out because it came out in '73, right at the point where which. Ten years after the assassination, I think I got right with the date. Did I get seventy the uh, seventy three right with that? Do you remember?
1: It's before November, <laughs>
0: right? But it was at the ten year anniversary, and of course, by that point, the concept of of a possible conspiracy was going full full bore at that point. And
1: mm. there's
0: no question that. Was uh, um,
1: there a heyday of conspiracy right. thinking?
0: And then, of course, then we've the second film you describe is is probably the most well-known Kennedy film anymore, and let alone assassination films, and that's Oliver Stone's JFK. Mm-hmm. And then the third is a more interesting, for filmmaking purposes, interview with The Assassin, which is actually, and maybe you can correct me if I don't say this correctly, it's presented almost as a documentary, even though it's not really a documentary.
1: It's a mock documentary.
0: In fact, right. that you called it a mockumentary, which is a... A, a style of of docudramas out there that are presented as if they are actual documentaries. Mm-hmm. Since Kennedy is not the main character, quote unquote, in these films, why? How did how did he come through in the important aspect of him? For example, in JFK and in Executive Action, we get specific reasons from the character as to why. They took part in the, were likely to be taking part in a, a conspiracy or that the people believed that, that there was a conspiracy involved. What he was or was going to be was so important. Um, how does this relate to our view of JFK's profile and his image? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you're right. He's not an active character because he's, uh, he's cast in the role of a superhero that the hero emulates, um, at least in two of the uh, of the movies that I included in the Kennedy assassination section. Um, in the 1973 docudrama, Executive Action, Kennedy is apparent only in absentia. And the anti-hero is also eliminated at the end, so that there is no struggle in which the audience can participate vicariously, of course. The only vague sense of closure the film affords results from the indirect what it's lesson or question. Um, For example, if violent, racist, and extremist thinking had not led to Kennedy's assassination, the United States would be a much better place today. So, I think that this is the core message of the movie, um, and this is this is where uh the conspiracy oriented story scenario uh leads us to. Because as I said, there's no uh there's no hero because JFK is already a super a superhero and there's uh and there's only um, a villain. Well, a group of villains, uh but the main uh the main villain, the one who pulled the trigger, um, is himself eliminated toward the end. But what we're left with um, in narrative forable pragmatic terms is a bunch of um, conspirators so where do we draw uh, satisfaction from as as an audience and there should be some kind of uh, satisfaction or some kind of closure for the audience at the end of the docudrama. drama where as I said we take that from, um, from this um, counterfactual um, question and the answer that we automatically tend to provide to it, that if JFK had not been assassinated, uh, the um, happy, luminous bright 60s would not have turned into the crazy 60s, and so on and so forth. Um,
0: yeah, there's a scene by- early on where the one conspiracy, the, the, where Will Gear, who was the uh, one conspirator who they have to convince they give him three or four things that they claim will happen between mm-hmm. such and such date and such and such date. And, and they show each of them happening almost as if they're predicting the future without the fact, without remembering the fact they know the future <laughs> as far as the filmmakers were concerned. And it was clear, like you just said, these were each things that Many people considered to be good things, but supposedly mm-hmm. these conspirators did not like any of those things
1: right and it's very very interesting that the footage that uh that the conspirators uh show to um their leader um so that is original footage and we see Kennedy as he at his desk in original footage um by contrast, Oliver Stone put forward a more partisan argument, um, which resulted in, as we all know, um, a highly mediated controversy. The movie had not had not even uh, had, had not even been shown, uh, and it was already uh, a media scandal. Um, so the movie uh, relies on documentary material and mainly the Depruder film and a mixture of real and re footage to speculate about the Kennedy assassination. Um, but there's a paradox at the core of of uh, its logic, because while the film sets out declaring to uncover the truth that others had ignored or were prevented from exposing, it also preserves the idealized view of the pre-assassination period as a modern American camelot, um, now, the two are mutually exclusive, and verifiable conclusions about the Kennedy assassination, if ever possible, would have to dispose of the idealized Kennedy image as well, and look for answers behind the president's imperfect decisions and all to human behavior. Um, and as usual, Oliver Stone wants to eat the cake and have it. Um... I'm not sure that uh, that he's convincing um, all the way through, but this is uh, this is the, the paradox that I identified at the core of the movie, and um, which I think um, makes the movie a perfect talking drama, but uh, an imperfect, uh, but imperfect from the point of view of, of its logic.
0: Right. Um, in, in many ways, it's like the first, like executive action in that the core of it is to tell us that things went bad because Kennedy was assassinated. That had Kennedy lived and the, the, the core with JFK versus executive action, where there were a number of issues. Um, JFK specifically points to the Vietnam War and the military as right. the reasons for why he was assassinated. And that's mm-hmm. where... Uh, the two of them are alike in one way because they they both have to they both have to come back to the same thing. If there was an assassination conspiracy, and if it wasn't just a lone nut that killed him, you have to have a reason why. It makes no sense to say they killed him just to kill him. They had to have a reason, and so both films have to come up with with reasons for why Kennedy would have been killed. Otherwise, it you know the the, the motive or the reason doesn't make any sense. And in both cases, um, we've sort of had the same reason. Vietnam was one of the main things in executive action. And, of course, it's the primary thing in JFK. That's why the first image and the first sound we get in JFK is um, Eisenhower's speech about the military-industrial complex. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oliver Stone is clearly, right from the beginning, making it clear what his point is going to be.
1: Yes, you're perfectly right. Uh, JFK is set, uh, in contrast, not only with, uh, Johnson, but also with, uh, Eisenhower. Um, and, um, Vietnam is at the core of the, uh, the argumentation in JFK. Um, as I said, the, uh, the line of, of argumentation is not always clear, um, not always logical. But um that makes him you know, a um, a superhero, uh someone that uh Garrison wanted to emulate and to and whose uh whose memory he wanted saved and plans for the future generations. Um, the fact that he's uh that his argument is flawed <laughs> might not help uh, his initial enterprise, but who knows? As a movie, as a movie, uh, I think JFK is exhilarating. But if you stop and think, um, then um, of course it strikes you that um, Oliver Stone's argument is not all too logical all the time.
0: Yeah, I think if you go back and read anything from the time, you'll see most reviewers, many reviewers considered JFK to be JFK to be a great film. It was nominated for Best Picture. It certainly was considered to be an incredibly great film, but it's the people with the historical uh, opinions about it are the ones that are probably the most critical of it. But I agree with you. It was interesting that a film that hadn't even been made yet was already being subject to incredible controversy in the press based on people reading early versions of scripts and things to come up with what they thought was going to be in the film.
1: Well, that's also because I think, um, and I might be speculating, but maybe not. <laughs> I think that um, Oliver Stone has, uh, has put forward a couple of contradictory and self-contradictory statements about the movie. Uh, he once called it a myth, then a counter-myth, then a metaphor than the truth about the Kennedy assassination. And I think that all these um, statements um, help inflate the controversy, and it helps the movie, um, media-wise. It made it a sensation before it was even shown in theaters. Um, So, yes, I do think that the movie is a good one, um, and I can understand why historians criticized it, precisely because it was sometimes presented as the truth about the Kennedy assassination and about the Vietnam War. Um, on the other hand, um, it is just a docudrama, Um and...
0: With more, it with, more be, be part. Part. <laughs> with more parts being the drama part. With more of it sometimes being the drama part than the document.
1: Right, part. right.
0: So, of course, it also has the distinction of being one, uh, one of two it, in our discussion of films. Of the nine films, Kevin Costner becomes one of the two actors who gets to be in two of the films in your, uh, in your list. The other one will end up being Donald Sutherland, who is in both Path to War and in um, uh, JFK as well. But it is interesting that we've got Kevin Costner again uh, in JFK. Although it came out before thirteen days, obviously. Yeah, so. so now the third chap, the third section is called Kennedy nostalgia, and these are films where Kennedy doesn't he, he doesn't appear. He's not the main character. He's not even the main subject of the films in many ways, and yet he's an important aspect of those films. The four films you included in this group were Nixon, In the Line of Fire. The Rat Pack and Path to War. The last two, the Rat Pack and Path to War, are actually HBO films um, dealing, the Rat, Path to War was dealing to the lead up to uh, Vietnam. And of course, the Rat Pack was the um, entertainers that included Frank Sinatra and other people. Um, in the Line of Fire, I think of the four is the most interesting in the sense that it really is totally a fictional film. I and mean, there's nothing in, it, in in the Line of Fire that attempts to try to pretend like any of it is for real, except for the small part of the Clint Eastwood character, who supposedly was one of the um, Secret Service men in Dallas, and in theory was the one who could have stopped the assassination had he moved a little faster. Uh, that's the closest we get to actual history in mm-hmm. in the line of fire. But yet the entire film is very much of a, of a look at the concept of what could happen, what happens to someone who is in that kind of situation, as well as what the stresses are of being a Secret Service agent. Mm-hmm. But the one I wanted to mention in particular, though, because of the film, those four films, and we're coming back to our friend Oliver Stone, is Nixon. Mm-hmm. Um, most people who have written about Nixon, especially the ones that are the more psychological studies of Nixon will regularly discuss the issue of what Nixon thought of the Kennedys and JFK in particular. And Stone definitely makes sure that he uh, includes Kennedy as a, as a background character in Nixon. Uh, How did the film in particular show Kennedy as an, an integral character of Oliver's of the film?
1: Um. He did. Um, he used Kennedy uh, as both foil and nemesis for Nixon, and um, the argument in the movie is that Watergate goes back to the Bay of Stakes debacle, and that somehow Nixon, by having been involved involved as vice president in the Bay of Stakes um, uh, affair, had set in motion a system of unaccountable forces, black forces, which the beast which ultimately destroyed both presidents, killed Kennedy and destroyed Nixon politically and publicly. Um, it might be ironic to say that Nixon Nixon is ultimately about JFK, as all, all of our Stone movies turn out to be about <laughs> John <Jonas laughs> F. Kennedy. But,
0: <laughs> it's almost a sequel to JFK. <laughs> yeah.
1: But it's not unfounded, um, because the movie communicates its message by means of the underlying comparison between the two presidents. JFK is an absent character, too, but he's an overwhelming presence that sets the standards for the rest of the characters, while Nixon is the protagonist, but a fading presence and a counterexample. example And it's interesting that JFK is presented through original footage only, whereas Nixon's portrayal is mediated by Anthony Hopkins with only one exception which occurs at the end of the film, um, the real grotesque image of Nixon making his trademark define and his a frozen smile um, as he and his wife leave the White House it's projected in close-up on the screen. So that's the only time when we see uh, Nixon in, um, in original footage. And I think it's important because of the relationship that uh, between the audience and the uh, and the characters that is being built in the movie and uh it's a way of an extra way um, to implement uh the understanding and the interpretation of the movie um, so I think um this movie is um somehow um, trying to or through this movie, Oliver Stone is trying to uh both present uh Nixon as a human being with um, flaws and uh and also um merit uh particularly with uh with regards to uh to his China policy, but also uh does that by constantly and um continually Comparing him with JFK, and again placing JFK on a pedestal. Um,
0: and then, of course, we gonna, sort of have the scene in the in, towards the middle of the film that is somewhat similar yeah. to the scene in Executive Action, where we've got these men all sitting around talking about Kennedy and the mm-hmm. possible need to get rid of him. It just so happens, in this case, Stone puts Nixon at one of those meetings.
1: Yes. true. Um, and there's also another significant scene uh that I wanted to refer to. Um, it's right before uh Nixon uh Nixon's resignation speech. He is walking the the halls of the White House and he stops in front of JFK's portrait and he uh said to himself, It's funny that uh whenever um, they they look at me, uh they see who they are and when they look at you they see who they want to be. So um, that uh coupled with another scene in which um, there's uh there's a um, White House uh waiter I think uh who's waiting on uh Nixon late at night and Nixon is um Asking him what was it that he liked about JFK so much, and he says, echoing McNamara's words, he made me see the stars. Um, so again, um, this um, generic, general uh, nostalgia about not only about Kennedy, but about uh, what our own um, psyche made out of Kennedy. Yeah.
0: I don't know, I don't remember now, based on current... I've gone back and looked. I really do think Nixon's a very good film. I don't know what kind of reviews it got at the time, and I think because it was not that long after JFK, people may not have... Some people didn't look at it the same way, but one of the things I found interesting is, number one, Anthony Hopkins is absolutely brilliant. I mean, there's no Mm -hmm. question. As a character, he did a great job, and they didn't do anything with makeup. They didn't do anything even... his voice, we can't tell. I mean, his his mannerisms, I think, are there. Of course, he had the ability to listening to recordings, too, to try to help him a little bit. But also, oh, yeah. you can tell just from the way the character uh, changes, and because Stone goes back and forth in time in the film, I mean, keeping track of where we are at any one point at times can be a little bit... Um, for, you, know, you have to think about it as it goes, but... His character, his performance just to me, and that's you know, that's the critical part of it. Uh, we're talking now as a film um, made him believable as Nixon,
1: right? And at times uh, he's also uh, portrayed as a sympathetic character. If we think of the flashbacks to his childhood, his unhappy childhood, and um, the kind of efforts that he had to make in order to uh, make it. In
0: life. And it, it's interesting when you go back and forth between how the two, char- the two presidents are considered historically. JFK gets too much credit for things, and Nixon doesn't get enough credit for things. For example, most people who, whenever somebody tries to point out Nixon's uh, abilities in foreign policy, it mm-hmm. tends to get said, people say, well, that's because of Kissinger. You know, it wasn't Nixon, right. it was Kissinger. Right. And of right. course. <laughs> From listening to the <laughs> recordings, we discover it really was Nixon more than Kissinger. Yes,
1: and a similar thing happened to Johnson, and I think past award does does justice. Finally, it's only aesthetic justice because it's so sad uh, that that Johnson doesn't get enough credit for what he did in domestic, in terms of domestic policies, and that. Uh, and that his image is always associated with the Vietnam War. When, it, when there were five presidents, five American presidents involved in this war and in the decision-making process. So.
0: And um, you're right, I mean, it's, it goes back to your earlier point about Kennedy. This is probably a strange way of saying it. Kennedy, as a image, benefited by the fact that he died While in office, he didn't have a full term. even So there's no way of knowing for sure what it would have been like after eight years of Kennedy. What kind of positives and negatives would he have had? Could he have been in the same boat as Johnson was when it came to Vietnam? We don't know. But it helped to keep his image higher than Johnson's ever could be, even though overall Johnson probably had a much definitely had a much more successful presidency, at least domestically.
1: Right. Uh, well, we, we only have to, um uh, look at the, um Walter Cronkite interview with JFK a couple of weeks before he was assassinated. One of the questions, uh, was about Vietnam. And, um initially, JFK says, well, it's their war. They're the ones who have to win it or lose it. And then, a fraction of a second later, he says, well, yes. But the stake of the, uh, the stake of freedom, um, is in our, uh, freedom, uh, is at stake and, uh, we have freedom in our hands and we cannot, uh, back off because we're the ones who can influence the outcome of the, of the war for the better. So, it's
0: complicated. Well, it also shows that Kennedy was a cold warrior. Everybody, he continues Definitely. to get a good image. He continues to be considered to be a very liberal uh, president who cared more about, you know, he, he was trying to get away from the wartime footing that he had lived through, but that's not really true. His inaugural address, if you read it word for word, yes. is clearly not what I would call a peacemaking inaugural address. He was making a point and
1: He was a okay.
0: Right. And so anyway, but it, it, it does show though in Nixon and, and, and as you say in Path to War that, uh, how the hope is you, you, you've got to the best way to consider is, is that by looking at these characters, as his character that maybe you can see that, uh, the nostalgia part is, is in many ways almost as, bad, so to speak, the way he's looked at them in the past, the same way as PT one oh nine presents him as a superman. Well,
1: um it is uh it was uh and probably still is um a way of of psychological um relief uh for the public in the same way that uh conspiracy theories were at the time and are still now uh because they they helped they help um Reset the the balance. Um, how can you how can you um, accept that one uh, missed it, one lone nut was able to um, eliminate the president of the United States? So uh, there's this imbalance between the target and the assassin, and the way to react. To uh, to this imbalance and to um, go away with the trauma is to come up with stories that uh, um, we invent sometimes or we organize uh, facts that we are aware of in such a way as to uh, make us feel better.
0: Right. You have about, to make him Superman. And the only yeah. way to do that is to say that there was a reason, a, a, a quote unquote logical reason that somebody might have wanted to kill him and instead of the illogical reason that's considered yeah. to be the official story. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, are there other films that you viewed that you considered including, or were you able to, were the nine that you picked ended up pretty well? filling in is there something that you decided just didn't fit or, or you just didn't feel was as good as making any of your points uh, I know you mentioned a couple of the television projects in particular as it relates to the Cuban missile crisis, you know 13 days so mm-hmm. I know you did view um, missiles of October and also the uh, the Kennedy miniseries that I think came out in 83 so because they had obviously both of them touched on the missile crisis so, uh, obviously, you decided to stick with feature films, but are there other films that you looked at that you thought that you think are worth looking at for the, the points you're trying to make with the nine that you included?
1: Uh, that's right. I did look at The Missiles of October and Kennedy, and I included a short discussion um, of these two TV docudramas in the uh, Kennedy leadership uh, section. Um, the reason why I did that uh, was to uh, compare how um, documents were used at the time and included in the um, in the argument of the movies, and how much 13 Days has benefited from the release of new documents. Um, but then, um, TV docudramas, uh, if discussed at uh, length. Would have complicated things five-wise. Um, I did, I did look at Parkland, um, but I was not particularly impressed by the movie. And, uh, if anywhere, I would have had to include it in the last section, but, um, it would not have altered or better illustrated my argument regarding docudramas which touch upon the Kennedy image marginally.
0: Yeah, Parkland's um, interesting in that. Unlike the other assassination films, because there is no sign of any belief in a conspiracy in in Parkland. In fact, it's it, it, the official book it's based on is um, Vincent Bugliosi's book, which is clearly mm-hmm. anti-conspiracy. Um, Kennedy really isn't as important, quote unquote, to the concepts. It's it's presented differently than the, than the other films that you included.
1: Um, that's true, and um now, if, you mentioned that Kennedy is not, is not, uh, present in the movie, and um, he is not the, he's not an organizing principle from the movie, for the movie, as he is, uh, in the other, uh, movies. But if I come to think of it, what is the organizing principle in this movie? What is the, 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 uh, backbone of this movie.
0: Yeah, if anything it's it's how the assassination affected quote unquote normal people. It was it, it right. tells some backstories right. of but things. the
1: story but the story I think is not developed enough uh for the audience to be to be able to uh fully empathize and sympathize with them. I mean I think there's great potential in the movie but it's not Redeveloped. That's that's my opinion.
0: I think because it almost tried to use a format of trying to do it as it happened situation mm-hmm. meant that everything takes place in a reasonably short period of time in the film and there's not a lot of development of anything. It's more of a presentation of information. Right. Almost like a doc in, in sense documentary lies where it just wants to you know, where it just wants to present quote unquote the facts. And we don't get as much of how things affected people or or what people went through, and so that's why I can see where it definitely doesn't fit into the rest of the films, and therefore mm-hmm. it's not worth um including for that reason and actually it, it, it your, your points are well taken as to why it doesn't fit into the rest mm-hmm. of your narrative.
1: I did like the cinema you know, verite type of of uh, technique that it used. I think it uh, added to the uh, to the value of of document that it wanted to present. Um, but otherwise, I don't think it would have served my my general argument. Mm-hmm.
0: And of course, we've got a couple other TV related projects out there that could theoretically have been included in some way. There was the Kennedy miniseries that was actually on the whole family rather than JFK, the one that was somewhat controversial that they couldn't even find any. It was originally supposed to be on CBS, then it was going to be on Showtime, and then it ended up being on The Reel's channel because no one else would show it. And then, of course, then there's um, the other one is the one that's based on Bill O'Reilly's book that was just on um, one of the cable channels, did a a miniseries of Killing Kennedy. And um, but those are i I think you're right they're they're not really meant to be on the same level as the films and what they meant to do based on the films that you included. Yes,
1: yeah, plus they had a different format, the TV format
0: mm-hmm. Of course, then we we've, we've got we still have other Kennedy wo- movies around, and there may be some things in the future that might still fill some of the. In, you know, might be considered in the same level as some of the ones that you've already included. Uh, so what are your plans going forward? Are you work, What are you working on now? And what other topics do you feel uh, are interesting to you uh, in the same way that this was so important to you as a, as a project? Hmm. Um, I
1: have started thinking and planning for a new book project. But um I'm a little superstitious so mm-hmm. I don't like talking about That's it at this stage. No, I, I will that. say I will say this much. It has to do with the HBO series The Sopranos. Um I've uh I I love this I love this show and I think it has great uh potential in terms of of um it's um intertextual intertextual dimension. So um I'm um I'm happy to be uh uh to be um working on on a new book about the surprise. That's,
0: that's fine. I understand that totally. Depending on where you are it's one thing if it's in the publisher's hands and therefore it's getting close. It's another where if it's still lots of it is still in your mind or in your notes and you still are doing research and you're just not even sure where it's going to be yet, so it's hard to, to be specific about it. So I fully understand that. But I Thank wanted to make sure that people uh, knew you were doing some other things. And in fact, hopefully at some point in the future, depending on what ends up, that uh, maybe we'll talk again about some future project, project because you clearly are going to continue on in the popular culture realm. Therefore, it's definitely of interest to me with uh, material related to film.
1: I'd be happy to uh to be able to talk to you again about my next my next project
0: well, I have to tell you, like I said before when we first started talking that this was a topic that i that's interesting to me and I hope uh you felt that you had a chance to really make your you know give some good ideas as to what you were writing about i think uh it's definitely a book worth looking at i think not only for the docudrama part but the points you made and the way you were able to Show where Kennedy fit into your uh, narrative and, and, and into your points it was well done, and definitely it's a book worth uh, reading and looking out for. And I have to give Cynthia Miller credit because it's another one of from her mm-hmm. series, and she seems to be able to find the right people and find ways to get them to 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 write interesting interesting books.
1: It was great working with Cynthia. Yes, you're <laughs> right about
0: that. I have already interviewed her just for one of her own, so I understand that. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I say, thank you for talking with me. I hope uh, you enjoyed discussing your work. And like we said before, maybe at some point in the future when you have something else to, to, that's out, we can talk again.
1: Thank you for your kind remarks. Um, I'm more than happy that uh, you like the book and you think it's interesting and uh, worth reading. Um, it was a pleasure talking to you and again I hope that uh, we'll have a chance to uh, to talk sooner, rather sooner than later
0: Great
1: about my next book.
0: <laughs> great, thanks.
1: Thank you, Joelle.
0: My great thanks to Reluca for her time. Her book wonderfully showed the image of jfk in film this is joel Cherney, and i will be back soon with more new books in film